Hey, wine and real estate listeners, it's Jason Lowe from episode number 129. At Ascendant Financial, ibcforme.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors all across Canada, the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it becomes difficult to access the financing that you need or when interest rates in the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at ibcforme.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you're already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept, puts you in a position of total and absolute control over the repayment schedule of your loans while enhancing your overall returns. So whether you're a new real estate investor or a seasoned real estate investor, we believe that ready access to money to take advantage of high caliber opportunities and all the financial control should be in your hands, not the banks and not some loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for wine and real estate podcast listeners. And so if you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, less headaches, head on over to ibcforme.com. That's ibcforme.com. Hello, everyone. So I'm with Andrew McDonald from Streetwise Mortgages. Welcome, Andrew. And welcome, everybody joining us tonight. Uh, if you can put in the chat where you're joining us from, I like to know if you have people from uh, outside of Canada, because I do have friends now in Costa Rica, in Dubai, all over the world. But Tonight's focus is on Canada and registered funds. So, Andrew, I'll let yourself let you introduce yourself, please. Sounds good. So, my name is Andrew McDonald. Uh, those of you who are into all the real estate podcasts and things have probably never heard from me. I'm not normally on there. I'm filling in for Dahlia, who runs uh, Streetwise Mortgages this evening. But not to worry. I've been a real estate investor since 2010. I've invested using TFSA funds through a trustee. I've done this all myself. So hopefully I can give you some good insights and uh, kind of give you a glimpse into the world of lending registered funds. Sounds amazing. And a lot of people don't know about this, that registered funds, you think you have to go to your bank, uh, one of the big fives, and that's about it. So, wow, we have quite a varied audience, people from Winnipeg, um, New Brunswick, Calgary. So, wow, it's going to be interesting to hear about the questions. But I find registered funds are such an amazing tool for real estate investors, whether oh, Victoria, BC as well. Great. All over Canada. That's great. I'm the only one in Ottawa. Andrew, where are you joining us from? I'm in Perry Sound at the moment. Thanks okay. to that I'm working from the cottage full time. Very nice. Wow. Enjoying the the lifestyle. Great. So let me just add your presentation here. And uh, yeah, everybody take some notes because this is really interesting stuff, whether you're approaching someone to borrow or you want to lend out your money. Oh, I have another Ottawa friend. Yay. That's great. Two Ottawa people. We win so far. <laughs> so Andrew, I'll let you take it away. And everybody, feel free to ask questions. I see them in the chat, so I can ask Andrew as well as we go along, because this we want this to be interactive as much as possible. 
Sounds good. So I'm going to uh, switch up the order a little bit. This is Dahlia's presentation. I've made a couple of tweaks to it. I'm going to uh, delay until the end explaining what our team does as mortgage brokers who specialize in working with real estate investors. I'm going to skip right into the meat and potatoes for anyone who has limited time today. And uh, hopefully I can give you as much knowledge as possible. So give me a second to uh, get used to the technology. I don't know if it's going to do the animated points or whatever. It won't matter for anyone listening to the recording. I'm going to try and make sure I explain everything that's on the slide so you don't miss too much along the way. So to start off with, Dahlia never does this slide, but this is the kind of guy I am. I do operations for Streetwise, so I'm going to start with the disclaimer. First of all, I'm not an accountant, so anything I say here should not be construed as tax advice. Talk to your accountant. I'm a, not a lawyer, so nothing here should be construed as legal advice. Talk to your lawyer. I'm not a trustee. We're going to talk about what a trustee is, but they make the rules, and all these rules are subject to change. So since I first did a TFSA self-directed mortgage with Olympia Trust, some of the things that we're going to talk about today have changed and they may change in the future so keep that in mind and as we go through the presentation i know it's it's called rsp investing we use that term as sort of a catch-all for different types of registered accounts but you can also do this with the tfsa you can also do this with other types of registered accounts so there are a few differences like technically a tfsa is not registered because it's a tax sheltered rather than tax deferred vehicle but for the purpose of this presentation, RSP, TFSA, it's kind of interchangeable, okay? So <clears throat> when it comes to real estate investors, we tend to get very excited about investing in real estate. And a lot of times we have some other investments that we've done before we started to invest in real estate. I know that's um, that was the case for me. So if you have money that's built up in your TFSA, it's not too hard to get access to it. You can just take it out and start using it for real estate right away. But if you have if you have money that's in your RSP, it's not as easy because if you wanna take it out, you're gonna pay a withholding tax and you're gonna pay tax on it as income in the current year. And I'm not an accountant, but I can at least tell you that much. So as an example, let's say you have $200,000 in your RRSP. If you wanna get access to that, there's three ways to do it. The first one is to withdraw it from your account. That's going to push you probably into the top tax bracket. You're going to pay a very high marginal tax rate on that $200,000, and you're going to give up a lot of your money to the government. So we're trying to keep more money in our own pockets. We don't want to do that. That's probably not the best option unless, let's say, you're retired, you have no other income, you're self-employed, so you don't have to pay yourself a dividend. There might be some cases where you could take it out, but that's probably not what you want to do, so that's not what we're going to talk about today. The second option would be that you can borrow against the money that you have in your RSP. You could take an RRSP loan. However, if you're a real estate investor, you don't really want to be doing that because it's going to cut into what you qualify for on other mortgages. So we're not going to talk about that either today. The third option, and this is what we're going to talk about, is how you can take your RRSP funds and lend them as a mortgage. So we're going to focus on that. And again, it could be RRSPs, it could be TFSAs. It could be any uh, type of registered funds. All the rules for which types of accounts and things that you can use are on the websites for the various trustees. And for any sort of registered funds, this is the next slide for those listening, the funds must be administered by what's called a trustee. Okay, and it's because these are registered. <clears throat> any of the strategies we're talking about today, you could do them with cash, non-registered funds, money from a line of credit, secured line of credit. 
but if it's registered, there's special tax implications. So you have to make sure that it's managed by a trustee. When Dahlia put together this presentation, there was three trustees doing this. I think community trust is getting out of this. Yeah. So the two remaining ones are Canadian Western Trust and Olympia Trust. From my experience back when I did this to today and still talking to different mortgage administrators, Olympia Trust tends to be the preferred provider to do this. I think the fees are more reasonable, their response times are better, and the overall it's just easier to get a deal done. So if you're considering doing this, I would say Olympia Trust is probably the first place that you want to look for a trustee. Sounds good. We have a question. Well, we have two questions for you, Andrew. So number one is, if you deploy registered funds in APL, is the profit stuck back in the registered fund or is it liquid after profit? What or is liquid a, profit, sorry. What is a PL? I assume a private loan. If the uh, person who wrote the question, if you could... Okay, that, that would make sense in the context of the question. So yes, um, if you've lent in the private, so if you've lent this private loan inside of a RSP account or a TFSA account, what happens is when those payments, usually it's an interest only payment you would get. When those payments come back, they get paid into your Olympia Trust account. So when you do this on a small scale, you may get, you know, uh, you may get a couple hundred dollars a month back into your Olympia account. It's not going to be enough for you to reinvest it. So it wouldn't work the same way as if you had like a, a drip plan set up on a mutual fund. So unfortunately, it sort of gets tied up within that account. However, usually when we do these mortgages, they're for a shorter term. So when the term expires, you get your principal back. You're going to have your principal plus all that interest and plus the lender fees that you earned. And now you're going to have a bigger sum of money to lend out on your next term within that account. I like that. Bigger and bigger. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, you can invest it all right away and take advantage of compound growth. But at the end of the day, you get pretty good returns doing this type of lending. And in my opinion, it's it kind of beats the uh, alternatives that are available inside the RSPs. It really does. So another question from another Facebook user. Unfortunately, I don't see names. So if the profits go back into the locked registered fund, which you've just answered, are they also taxed when you withdraw as a RIF? So I guess when you approach, I think it's 71 years of age, you have to start withdrawing your funds. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm gonna go back to the disclaimer slide. I'm not an accountant, but my understanding is that, yes, it would be taxed when you withdraw it as a RIF. So the idea behind these um, trustees is they're managing the account. It's a self-directed investment. It's like any other investment you have inside of an RSP. Any returns that you get continue to accrue within the RRSP account. And then at the time that you withdraw from the RRSP account, then it becomes taxable as income in the current year. Again, not an accountant, but that's my understanding. If you did this under a TFSA, that's a tax sheltered account rather than a tax deferred account. So it would just continue to grow in there and you don't pay tax on that money because you've invested after tax dollars into the TFSA. So that's kind of a distinction between the registered accounts versus doing this with the TFSA. Excellent. Was that it for now? That's it for now. <laughs> so let's move on to the second rule. Um, again, you have to use a trustee when you're doing registered accounts or a TFSA. So this needs to be set up as what's called a self-directed account. So if you guys want to look into the details more with either Olympia Trust or Canadian Western Trust, when you go on their website, what you're looking for is a self-directed account. 
And when you get to that page on their website, you're gonna be able to see what the options are. You'll see what the fee schedules are and they have a whole bunch more information there. So if you have really specific questions for me later about how much the fees are, I'm gonna point you straight to the website because you might be listening to this today and they're one thing and you might be listening three months from now and they could have changed. And also I actually don't know what they are right now because I haven't done this strategy myself for a couple of years. So hope that's fair. Um, <clears throat> the next distinction I wanna make is to explain the difference between arm's length and non-arm's length. So the tax act is the place to go. I always point people back to the source directly. So this definition is found in section 251 of the Canadian tax act. I think that's what it's called. The link is here on the slide, but if you Google section 251, you'll find it. And there's a definition there for arm's length. But to simplify what is like an extremely long description of arm's length, it's basically someone who is related to you by blood or, or to your spouse by blood. So your in-laws would be considered non-arm's length. Your spouse, spouse is non-arm's length. Brothers, sisters. Um, your parents, all of these relatives are non-arm's length, okay? And there's different rules if you're lending at arm's length, like I'm not related to Francois, so if I lend money to Francois, it falls under different rules than if I lend to my mom. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And there's a question, not quite related to this, but can you place RRSP funds into a TF TFSA? I don't think so. Because you'd be withdrawing it, then you would have the tax. Yeah, you would have to. So one is one is tax deferred, which is the RSP. So with an RSP, you're putting pre-tax dollars in, which is why you get the tax credit when you put money in there, because it comes out of your taxable income for the current year. And then it rolls forward within your RSP. And at the time that you take it out, that's when you get taxed. The TFSA is the opposite. You pay the tax now. You put your after-tax dollars into the TFSA, and then when you take it out, you don't pay tax because you've already paid your tax. So I don't believe you can put one into the other. That doesn't add up for me. No, you'd have to like liquefy your RSPs, like turn it into cash. You would pay your taxes. Then you do whatever you want, but it's not a great way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, um, like if you wanted to, you could cash out your RSP, pay tax on it as income in the current year and move it into a TFSA. And that may make sense in a situation where you have no, like you have no salary job income, you have no other income in the year, but you expect to have some next year. In some circumstances, it could make sense. If you were only taking out, let's say $50,000 because you were unemployed in a certain year and you're going to have employment again the next year, it could make sense. So I never say something never makes sense. It might. But in most cases, for most people, it's probably not going to make sense to do that. Okay, next, I want to get into, um, I'm going to explain the different options that you can use when you're investing as a arm's length transaction. So this is to someone that you're not related to by blood. Okay, so the first way that people start to use their RSPs to get exposure to real estate is as a private lender. Okay, this is, the, this is the basics. And then the other options are going to build on top of this one. So, so pay close attention to this option. Okay, so how it works is that most people have uh, a property, right? They want to borrow some more money on it. Usually they already have a mortgage with the bank. You could lend RSP money in first position. You could lend TFSA, whatever, registered money in, in either position. But most people don't have enough for a, a first mortgage, which is generally you know, three, $400,000. If you do, great, you could lend us first mortgage, but your returns are not as high. 
what most people end up doing is lending in second position behind a major lender, okay? So in this example, you have a house, there's a first mortgage, which is normally held by a bank. One thing you should be careful as, as a private lender is going behind non-bank lenders in first because they tend to be a lot more aggressive in a power of sale situation and it puts your money at risk if you're in a second mortgage behind a first mortgage that has very aggressive power of sale terms. So usually if you're going to be in second, you want to be behind a major bank or a finance, financial institution, not another private lender. Okay, so to use your RSPs as a private lender, what's going to happen is you're going to have your money. It's going to be in the account with the trustee. You're going to lend out the money and it's going to be secured by real estate in the form of a mortgage. So when you lend the money to someone, it still gets registered on title as a mortgage. And that's the key because that's what makes your money secure. You can use cash, you can use registered funds like I mentioned at the beginning in the exact same way. The difference is that when you're investing registered funds, it must be done through the trustee. So they administer everything, they're licensed to do so with the government and that's what allows you to take those registered funds and invest in mortgages. So it opens up a little bit more options for you when you do a self-directed account. With um, RSPs, you can lend in first position, second position, third position, fourth position. You can go as far down the list as you want, but you need to be careful that you're not behind too many other lenders because as you start to get higher on the loan to value and further down the pecking order, you start to, to have a higher risk. Really, we normally don't see anything past a third mortgage. Um, <clears throat> again, you can do this as either personal or corporate. We're talking about RSP investing today, so that's gonna be in your personal name. But something that our clients also do is they have retained earnings in their corporation. They make more in their corporation than they need to live off of. And sometimes they just take the money in the corporation and they invest that directly. Because why pull out the money from the corporation, pay tax on it, and then invest? You may as well just invest before paying the tax. Yeah, that's a huge one. I, I tell people all the time, I mean, a lot of people have corporations. And as you mentioned, the money's sitting there and... Why not make it work for someone? Exactly. So slightly off topic, but again, same concept applies here. Do you uh, help facilitate those at Streetwise? Yes. That, so I'll talk about a little bit more about what we do um, afterwards, but we see a lot of deal flow from both borrowers and investors. And part of our job as mortgage brokers is to pair those together. Um, obviously, we're, we're in that case, we're sort of representing both parties. So we're trying to strike a fair balance between them. You know, if you're saying I, I want to lend my RSP at 20% to someone and I'm only willing to go to 65% loan to value, I'll be upfront with you. We don't really have borrowers that are going to take your 20% money at 65% because we have other solutions for them. So as brokers, we can sort of help facilitate um, between borrowers and lenders and, and help get a fair rate. Like obviously we're in tune with what's going on in the market and that allows us to help make a match. Um, something that people don't really know when they're lending money is how do they actually make money? So everyone knows there's an interest rate. Um, but if you haven't worked with private lending before, you wouldn't understand that there's also something called a lender fee in most cases. So typically your total return on a first mortgage. And again, these are sort of shifting right now as interest are go interest rates are going up overall, but typically you're going to be in the range of nine to 11% on a first mortgage and 12 to 15% on a second mortgage. Um, some of that is going to be from the interest rate. Some of it's going to be from the lender fee. It doesn't really matter how you break it down. It could be 5% lender fee, 
10% interest. It could be 0% lender fee, 15% interest. At the end of the day, it's all a cost of borrowing to the borrower. And it has to be reasonable in order for them to move forward uh, with their project. I see there's one uh, question here. They're asking what's the dollar range of RSP loans that are typical. Um, so I would say anything from $50,000 and up is sort of a normal range. Um, a common situation where we use RSP mortgages is for someone who's doing a burr and they're looking to get some extra money for their renovations on top of the first mortgage that they arranged with the primary lender. Um, and so in some cases, their renovations may only be $50,000 and uh, that might work. And then on the higher end of things, we have some large investors with deeper pockets and they're lending out million dollar first mortgages. Um, so it really depends on what you have available, but I would say the minimum sort of starts around $50,000. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that the higher the return, the higher the risk, right? So again, I use that example of, you know, the 65% loan to value guy, he's not going to pay you 20% to borrow your money because that's a very, that's a very low risk loan unless there's something horribly wrong with the property it's in a very bad location that would be difficult to sell 65 percent loan to value is not a risky uh, position to be in so on that you're typically not going to get 15 20 percent you're probably going to be at less than 10 percent because there's a lot of alternatives out there for those people um, <clears throat> another thing that we've started to talk a lot more about recently as growth rates in uh, appreciation has slowed down and as interest rates rise is you have to be very careful about the exit strategy if you're lending your private money. You wanna make sure that you get return on your capital, but even more importantly, you wanna make sure you get return of your capital. So right now with things going, or sorry, previously with things going up in the market so quickly, it was very easy for people to exit because the property is worth more and either they can sell it for more money or they just refinance at a lower loan to value because everything's going up, up, up so quickly. But right now when that's not happening, we need to be very careful about validating the exit in advance. And that's also something our team can help with because we know, okay, based on the current market conditions, based on the rules, based on where things are headed, is this borrower likely to get out of this mortgage or are they gonna be stuck renewing with you over and over while the property might actually be declining in value? So again, be careful of your risk when you're doing this. Um, so hopefully after that, everyone understands what's basic, uh, what's the most basic version of this, which is to lend out your RRSP money directly as a mortgage to someone else, collect your interest and your lender fee, and that's it. Okay. The next thing I want to move on to is going to build on the first concept. And this is how you can actually get more money out to do more real estate deals, because usually as an investor, yeah, okay. 10, 15% sounds like a great return but you know that when you go out and you buy great opportunities, you can actually make more owning the property than just lending your money as a mortgage. So the second option is what people do to use this concept to get money and free it up to go out and purchase more real estate. <clears throat> so the animations in the slide are not uh, working here. I'll pause after this one for the question I saw pop up. The animations are not working, so you get the whole picture here right off the bat at the beginning. I'm gonna try to describe what's on the screen for everyone. Essentially, what happens is you're going to do just what you did in the first portion. You're going to lend your RSP mortgage to someone, but the someone that you pick is someone who may be interested in working with you on a joint venture project. So essentially, what you're trying to do is free up the equity in their house or one of their properties to give them the money that they need to come along and do a joint venture project with you. And that's how you can gain access to equity for your own projects. 
So again, they might have a first mortgage already on their house. You might be in second position, but you're helping them free up that equity. So a common example would be, you know, a lot of people start off doing joint ventures with friends or family. So maybe you have a friend, they're interested in real estate investing, but you know, they, they haven't been talking to Streetwise or a great mortgage broker. No one bothered to set them up with a home equity line of credit. They have no way to access that equity in their house. Step one, maybe send them to us. We can help pre-qualify them and make some changes. Maybe we can help add a line of credit. But step two on top of that is maybe you can lend to them behind the first mortgage and free up the equity that's stuck in your RSP making a crappy return, free up the equity that's trapped in their home. And now they have this down payment ready to go to help you on the next project that you want to tackle. So in this sort of second scenario, what you're doing is you're lending to someone else on a property that they own, not a property that you own. It's freeing up the equity and then they're gonna agree to take this money and do a joint venture together with you and they become your money partner. So this is this is the second way that you can invest in real estate with your RSPs. I think the question, Francois, do you, do you have that to pop up? I think it was the loan term. Yeah. Uh, so the loan, so the question was, what are typically the loan time periods for repayment? It really depends on who you're investing with. Um, at Streetwise, we work with a lot of real estate investor clients. So typically the private borrowing is a short-term need where people are doing renovations. A lot of times they're buying a property that may be in rougher conditions so it actually doesn't qualify and it needs private money. Um, or maybe they just need private money to go higher on the loan to value to actually fund the renovations. So in these cases that we see, it's normally a three to six month turnaround. Sometimes there's larger projects or sometimes it's a commercial project that might take a lot longer to refinance. So in those cases, it could be 12 months to up to two years. But I would say the most common term would be between three to 12 months. And the nice thing is that you don't get stuck in one particular deal for too long and you can turn your money over. You can make a new lender fee. You don't have to worry about the borrower defaulting as much because you, you have an exit strategy planned out and you just keep rolling the money over and charging another fee and compounding it. What a lot of other firms do is they help, uh, they, they help fund private mortgages for people who don't really qualify because they have poor credit because they're, uh, they don't have enough income to support the loan. Those things we see as being a lot more risky. Like, yes, it's someone's primary residence, so they probably won't default because push comes to shove. You got to do what you got to do to keep a roof over your head. It's the last thing that people are going to give up on. However, for our projects, we're looking at working with real estate investors who have some track record of doing these projects. So to us, the risk is lower because they know what they're doing. They know the project that they're getting into. We can validate the exit strategy in advance and make sure it's reasonable. We're not putting people into mortgages where they're going over 100% loan to value. We're not doing anything with promissory notes. We're not doing anything crazy here. We're always working for both the borrower and lender to say, okay, hey, yes, we're going to help you arrange this mortgage, but how are we going to get you out of the mortgage? That's just as important. So anyways, long answer, but the, uh, the time frame is about three to 12 months on average, and it could be up to one to two years if it's a commercial turnaround project. Yeah, and with those interest rates, I mean, most people want to get out of them fairly quickly. So it makes sense. And the velocity of the money, as you mentioned, is is fairly quick. And for the lender, all the lender fees, that's where uh, you make a lot of money as well. There's the interest, but the lender fees as well. And that 
lender fee is not stuck in your investment. That's treated separately. It's taxed separately, but you also receive it separately. Yes. So it's normally received up front, right? So you have that available. If you start to get two or three deals under your RSP umbrella in your account with Olympia, the lender fee you charge on one deal, you might apply that to you know, the next mortgage you're lending out when the second one comes back. If you get a few in there, it starts to work really well. There you go. Another question about uh, how long does your RSP contribution need to sit before you can use it as an in, in an investment? Sorry. So it wouldn't need to sit at all. As soon as it's in your registered account, you're eligible to use it. Um, one question I'm sure we're going to get later is how long does it take to get your, your money set up with one of the trustees? It doesn't take very long for Olympia to get uh, the money set up. Once you once you send it over to them, it usually shows up and it's available, I would say, probably within a week. I don't know what the timelines are uh, right now. I haven't done a deal with them recently, but I'm sure if you reach out, someone else on our team could, could sort of uh, give you an update on their timeline. But where the big delay comes in is if you have your investments with another financial institution, obviously they're not very keen on you transferring it to someone else. So they're usually pretty slow at processing a transfer when you want to get out. So if you have this idea that you want to invest uh, into, you know, you know, another investor and you want to help them and invest into this Burr project that they just closed on uh, last week and you're thinking you're going to be lending them money next week. If it's not with Olympia yet, you're probably not going to be lending it out for, for maybe a month. Um, so just keep the timelines in in mind. It does take longer. If you have cash, though, you could probably get it set up with Olympia and lent out within a week. So just keep the timeline in, in mind. It really depends where your RSP funds are now. And if you transfer them, it might take a little while. Okay, so let's move on now to option three. Again, this is going to get uh, this is getting a little bit more complicated building on what we're already talking about. Um, so what option three is, is it's that you're going to be a private lender, but you're going to lend to another private lender. So some people refer to this as an RRSP swap. And again, I'm not an accountant, but I'm going to tell you to proceed with caution on this one because I've been told that CRA does not exactly like this approach. What you definitely do not want to do is register like mortgages for $100,000 for each of you on the same day at the same interest rate going from one person to another. It makes it very obvious that you're just swapping funds. And uh, I don't think they're particularly a fan of that. Another version of this that I've heard is people do sort of a triangle. So party A lends to party B, party B to party C, party C back to party A. And it makes it a little bit less obvious um, what's going on here. I'm not really advocating for this because I think this is getting into the gray area, which I don't like. But I want to make you aware of what other people are doing so you don't say, hey, why didn't that guy tell me that I could do that? not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying you might get in a bit of trouble doing that. So if you're going to do this one, definitely talk to your accountant and be careful with it. Make sure you set it up the right way so you don't get into trouble. But essentially, you're doing the same thing here as you did in the second option. Um, and then when each of the parties gets the funds out of the RSP, you may want to, maybe you're good friends and you want to go in on a project together. That's fine. Or maybe you just want to each take your $100,000 or whatever the amount and, and go your separate way and buy your own investments. But the point of this is that it's another potential way to free up the money that's sort of locked in your RSPs and doesn't have great options and then bring it over. So now you can do something more exciting with it in real estate. Okay. 
uh, the last sort of strategy I want to talk about is non-arm's length. So this is kind of a different bucket of lending because this is when you're trying to borrow and um, you're related to the person who owns the property. So it could be either your own property, could be anyone who's related to you by blood, anyone who's related to your spouse by blood. Again, if you want the definition of arm's length, you can go to the Income Tax Act. It's very boring, very long. There's a uh, like pretty much everything else in the Income Tax Act, there's some degree of subjectivity and interpretation to it. So you may be able to make a case that, I don't know, your brother-in-law is arm's length or not arm's length or whatever. But uh, I'm going to leave that as an accountant question. If you want to know if someone is arm's length, ask your accountant. They're much better with the Tax Act than I am. Okay, so if we're going to borrow uh, non-arm's length, there's a few extra rules. Essentially, it works the same way. You're the goal is that you're lending money from the RSP in the form of a mortgage. But the difference here that there is that there are a lot of restrictions on which types of properties you can lend in and which ones you cannot. So a non-arm's length borrowing from your RSP has a few of these restrictions on it. First of all, the maximum loan to value is 90%. This is as of the last time I checked into this. You must qualify for the mortgage as if you were going through the regular CMHC or Sagan or Canada Guaranteed Insured Mortgage Lending Process. And the criteria are quite strict in terms of the qualifying ratios. So it's actually tough to qualify, especially with rates where they are these days. The next one, which basically blows my mind, and I cannot wrap my head around actually doing this. This is where this whole strategy of non-arm's length falls apart for me. You have to pay a mortgage insurance premium a mortgage default insurance premium to lend yourself your own money on your own property in case you default. This, like this, this makes no sense. If I default, I don't care. It's my own money. It's my own That's property. It. What am I Are doing? Is your own house? <laughs> exactly. So you're just you're paying all these fees to the government or like Sagan or whatever. It just it, it doesn't make sense to me. So I think if you're you're in this space where you're going to be creative with your RSP money, just just be a little more creative, do it one of the other ways. Um, it can't be in third position, which isn't a big deal because I mean, probably most of you don't have first and second mortgages and also want to lend yourself your own RSP money on your own house. So that one probably doesn't apply. Um, but one that always comes up is like, well, I want to lend myself money at like 20% interest inside my RSP. So you can make really good tax-free returns, but you can't do that. You have to do it at fair market interest rates. So then what's the point? Why not just borrow from someone else? And then the last one, which matters if you're trying to qualify for more rentals, is you can only have a fixed monthly payment, and it has to be at a 25-year maximum amortization. So the payment's going to be very high, and it's going to prevent you from qualifying for other mortgages. So this non-arms-length borrowing thing, it is possible, but it has a lot of red tape. doesn't really make a lot of sense, and we rarely see anyone doing this. Um, I don't think Olympia does these anymore. I could be wrong, but these are the rules on the screen here from CWT for the non-arm's length mortgages. You can see there's a ton of rules here on my little setup. Maybe if you guys have it full screen, you can actually see all the rules, but there's a lot of them. Okay. I've highlighted already on the previous slide what those rules are. Um, but again, here's another example. You have to get an appraisal on your own property to lend yourself your own money. Like there's just, there's all these extra fees and just too much red tape in my opinion. It's possible if you want to do it, but I never see it making sense. 
Um, that's pretty much it in terms of the, the presentation. I think we've kind of answered questions as we go. Um, I'm going to kind of open it up. If there's any more questions from Francois or anyone, we can cover those. And then I just wanted to take a minute after we're done with that and touch a little bit more on what Streetwise does, what our role would be in this process and how we can uh, help with any of your mortgage needs. Yeah, no, I think like you mentioned for questions, it's been quite comprehensive. You did a really good summary of the rules and what's possible to be done with your RSPs and your registered funds. Uh, there is a question here. Is there a maximum amount you can lend from your RRSP? Do you have to be kind of an accredited investor or something or? No. So there is a, so there is a one maximum. I actually forgot to mention this on the non-arms length side, which hopefully after my talk, everyone realizes is kind of useless. On the non-arms length side, because it has to be insured, you can only lend on a primary residence or owner-occupied property. So it could be your house or your cottage or second property. But it, the value of the property has to be less than $1 million. So in, in that case, in theory, the maximum would be $900,000 because it's 90% of the million. Okay. If, if you're not lending to yourself, you can lend. The maximum is however much you have in your RSP. That's the maximum. Okay. So very clear. I mean, if you've got 50K, you could lend 50. If you've got 500, you could lend 500. And, and it's another not limited to, um, like I mentioned, accredited investors or. Yeah. Another question, I, I don't know if anyone else has had this uh, question I asked a few years ago when I did this on my own in my TFSA was, well, if I lend out 50,000 in my TFSA and that's my entire TFSA balance, what happens if something goes wrong and you know they start missing payments and I have to like uh, invest money in a lawyer to go through the power of sale process to recover my money? How does that work? So the way that it works is you would have to contribute in um, your own funds from outside of the TFSA to recover it. And then I think at the end of the day, when everything gets settled up, those funds just come back to you outside of the TFSA. Like, I don't think you get extra TFSA contribution room or RSP contribution room as a result of going through the power of sale process. So they don't reward you for defaults and <laughs> on your loans. Okay, yeah. makes sense. I mean, you can slice it on the commit. Normally the commitment is written so that if you go into a power of sale presentation, you're going to actually make some, um, you're going to make some extra money going through the power of sale process. But again, it's not a pleasant process. It is stressful. It's going to involve some time and energy on your part. The best thing you can really do is uh, have a lawyer handle all of that for you because obviously they know how the process works. They're going to dot all the I's, cross all the T's and make sure it gets done as quickly as possible so you're not at risk. Exactly. I have a question from James. Uh, can you use RESPs for some of the strategies you explained? So education savings. Yeah, I believe you can as long as you have enough in those funds um, available to lend out. The, if, the best place you can go is to the CWT website and the um, Olympia website. And they have a list under the self-directed accounts of what you can do. Again, all these rules change over time. They may say, oh, you know, we had problems with our ESPs because the loan amounts are too small, so we're not doing them anymore. But as long as that's on their approved list with the trustee, in theory, you can do RESPs, you can do RRSPs. There's a whole bunch of other ones that start with an R that I don't personally have, but basically any registered funds can be done under a trustee using the same strategy. Excellent. 
And now let's learn a bit about Streetwise Mortgages. If you could tell us more about your team, because the team has grown and changed. Even for me, I've been dealing with Dahlia and Kelly, but I see a whole bunch of new people on the team. So you could tell us more. And Sure, sounds good. So I mean, uh, anyone who's been poking around the real estate investing space for any amount of time listening to different podcasts, you've probably heard Dahlia speaking. She's uh, very active on social media. She gives out a lot of uh, financing tips across the different um, podcasts. And uh, really what we try to do is just add good value for investors, help them to learn all the things they need to know about financing. And, um, you know, we're kind of the one-stop shop. If you're a real estate investor, we're the people you need to talk to about your financing. And obviously I'm biased because I work here. Even previous to this, I worked at another brokerage specializing in real estate investors. Um, most of our team, they're investors ourselves, or they have a lot of experience working with real estate investors. So you're going to have a totally different experience talking to someone on our team versus talking to your average bank branch uh, representative. Like they're, they know how to do a whole bunch of things. I don't, I cannot take a $20 bill and stick it into your bank account. I don't know how to do that. But what I do know is how to do mortgages really, really well. So if you need someone who understands the goals of investors and you need someone who understands what multiple lenders have to offer and you need someone who can help build your portfolio by taking you to the right lenders in the right order, that's the kind of thing that we do at Streetwise. Um, so Dahlia founded this company. I can't even remember when. I've been here for five years now, but it was long before that. I think she's been licensed for maybe 10 or 12 years at this point. And she's kind of a leader in the uh, investor financing space. You'll see just from the amount of stuff that we have available online, she really goes out of her way to educate people. Um, <clears throat> the way I actually met Dahlia was uh, through this book. I think I can't remember how old the book is now, but previous to doing mortgages, I used to run a rent to own company. And at the time, both of us were speaking at a local real estate investor group in Kitchener. Can't remember who went first, but that was the first time that we met in person I know she was a RAIN member many years ago at the same time as well. So we had a few interactions back then and, and somehow we ended up working together. But um, I've seen what she's been doing in the mortgage space for a number of years. On our, on our uh, YouTube channel now, there's a lot of videos that we have just educating people. There's interviews with a lot of experts in the real estate space, uh, just talking about, you know, what are they doing now? Because obviously the market has been shifting for the past few months with rates going up and things. So we just try to put out a lot of great content um, for our clients. One of the main things we offer different from competitors is we really try to take a, um, a holistic approach in planning out your portfolio. So we do something called the financing roadmap, where whether you're a new investor or you already have 10 properties, we'll basically sit down, assess where you're at now, where you want to go and, and map out the path to get there. Um, and I think that's really valuable, especially when I'm not sure your audience exactly, Francois, but I know... When you're new, it's totally overwhelming. And I wish I had someone to kind of hold my hand like this when I first started. Yeah. And even as you become more advanced, I see some names now of people listening. And as as you mentioned, as you hit 10, 12, 15, a whole bunch of properties, and they might be in different provinces. Some are, as you mentioned, some are rent to own, some are buy and hold and different strategies. What's next? How do you consolidate things? How do you keep being able to borrow? Do you switch some into a corporate name? Like there's a whole bunch of things to be uh, planned out as you grow as an investor. 
there's some, I mean, as, um, as the investors on our team grow, we've grown as well, getting answers for them. So I've been doing operations now for the past, I, I think, year and a half rather than underwriting actively. And, and really, that's what I'm best at. But the underwriters on our team have come up with some amazing solutions for investors that are tapping out or um, during COVID, the lenders introduced some new rules or changed their guidelines and sort of threw a wrench in our plan. So we said, okay, how are we going to help people continue? And we've come up with some really great solutions that are sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of awesome. I mean, we just move things, we just move things around, shuffle them around. And it's like, we just play, we just play the game to make everything fit within the lenders rules and help people keep doing what they're looking to do. Um, whether it's on their own or working with JV partners, that's another thing. We work with a lot of JV partners. So if you guys have JV partners and you don't know if they have two pennies to pinch together or not, send them our way. We get them pre-qualified for you and then they can share with you how much they actually qualify for. And you know, when you go find a great deal, it's not going to blow up because Sally down at the bank branch couldn't get them a rental mortgage. Amazing. Yeah. I'm always impressed. Um, I work with Kelly at the office, well, your office, the virtual office. And sometimes I call her, I'm like, oh, I saw this place. It's only 700,000. What do you say? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's like, no, you have to wait six months or you have to do this or yes, you, do you have your down payment? Then I'm like, oh yeah, I should get a down payment. <laughs> so I mean, there's things to consider. Yeah, I can't remember when your last deal was. I know one of the things that started happening is lenders stopped using um, lines of credit for down payment on rentals during COVID. So one of the ways that you could get around it is just make sure you have the money in your accounts for a certain amount of time. And then they're not going to ask like, hey, did that actually come from your line of credit six months ago? Yeah. Maybe edit this out of the thing, but like, that's an example of, okay, the lender policy says this. Okay, so now how long do you need it to be in the account, right? And we can ask these questions and find these answers. And then, you know, it sucks. You pay interest for a few extra months, but at the end of the day, you can get the next rental. And we're not in a position where we're putting people into like over leveraged positions where they're going to go bankrupt. We're qualifying with A lenders here. So really, we're just trying to figure out, okay, you know, TD changed their rules. So they basically assume that if you have a secured line of credit, they assume that it's maxed out. So a lot of our clients who would qualify with TD before, they no longer qualify with TD. It's not even an option. And then a lot of other lenders followed suit, but then there's some lenders that are more favorable than others. So those are the types of things that we know and we can help put people in the right mortgage. That's excellent. So, yeah. yes. So what's, oh, it's quite small on the screen. What's the best way to get a hold of your team? Yeah, this one, uh, this is the one slide in the whole presentation that didn't render properly. So it's tiny. Um, the best way to get a hold of our team is uh, either by reaching out through our website or by email or by phone. So I'll just list them all out for everyone who's listening. The website is Streetwise Mortgages with an S.com, streetwisemortgages.com. Uh, the general info at streetwisemortgages.com email will help you get connected with one of our senior advisors. And if you're more of a phone person, you can call in at 1-800-208-6255. I can't even read that. I just have it all memorized at this point. But uh, yeah, that, that's how to get a hold of us. There's a whole bunch more info on the website. If you uh, want to take a look there. I would say just check out the website first. It's got all the other contact info. So streetwisemortgages.com and we're happy to help you with anything mortgage related. Amazing. And which provinces do you help in? Because I remember for a while it was just Ontario and then I saw Dahlia said we're now helping and I didn't pay attention, but yes, which so provinces? 
Yeah, good question. We've changed this recently. So it started off uh, just Ontario. That's where we're licensed. Then it changed to anyone with a substantial tie to Ontario, meaning either you live here, you work here, or you own property here, or you're financing a property here. And then we decided, okay, we're getting a lot of interest in some of the other provinces, like the, the Ontario affordability is getting tough. So we decided, okay, we're getting so much interest out of province, let's get licensed in the other provinces. And it's actually not that big of a deal. There's reciprocity agreements for mortgage brokers between the provinces, but without getting into the details of all the compliance stuff, we can serve basically all of the English speaking provinces from coast to coast. Unfortunately, Francois, this sounds this sounds French to I'm me. I'm from Ontario, though I was actually born in Toronto. I'm a proud Franco-Ontarian. <laughs> I know. Maybe we need you on our team to help. But the, <laughs> the issue dealing with Quebec is that we can't actually read through all of the documents. So yeah. when we have French leases or French mortgage documents, we're doing our clients a disservice when we can't actually scan through and you know nitpick any of the potential downfalls in there. So we've just made a decision that because nobody is bilingual on the team, unfortunately, we can't serve Quebec. Everything else, coast to coast, east to west, we're good. The territories, they don't really have a mortgage broker network available there. So there's some problems doing appraisals and fulfillment and things. So all the provinces, none of the territories, and unfortunately, no Quebec. That's okay, though. That covers most of Canada and Quebec. You're dealing with the civil code, which we don't want to get into, but... There's a whole layer of laws that you need to know. So I also personally don't invest there, but I have some great friends that are doing some awesome business uh, because it's more complicated. It's sometimes an opportunity, but thanks for clarifying. So streetwise mortgages can help you wherever you are in Canada, except for Quebec and the territories, but maybe that's coming in the future. I saw some people from Saskatoon, uh, from Calgary, uh, all over Canada, Victoria, BC. So thanks everybody for tuning in. I don't know if anybody else had any more questions. If not, we're just going to thank you, Andrew, and enjoy the rest of our evening. Okay, awesome. Thanks for having me out. I hope, uh, you know, I always get feedback. I talk too quickly, but since we have technology these days, people can slow it down, speed it up, and listen at their own pace but i hope that gives you a good uh introduction on the basics and if you have any questions just reach out to us that was perfect thanks a lot and take care everyone cheers bye for now bye hello wine and real estate listeners jason Lowe here from episode number 129 access to financing and dealing with the banks can be frustrating we've all felt it Every payment that you make, whether it's the mortgages, property taxes, repairs and maintenance, unplanned vacancy, every single transaction is a permanent transfer of money away from you, making the wheels of the banking business and the real estate business turn. In other words, you're doing all the work and everyone else is getting all your money. Let me show you everything that I know from my 15 years of experience teaching people the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept all across Canada. All you need to do is head on over to ibc4me.com. Again, that's ibc4me.com, and I will give you the blueprint to solve the problem. Again, that's ibc4me.com. Whatever your real estate and wealth building goals are, I promise you the infinite banking concept is the best process to get you there. I encourage you to take the next step. Simply head on over to ibc4me.com. Again, that's ibc4me.com. And if you think you can't afford to do that right away, well, let me tell you, you can't afford not to discover this. I truly believe that what you'll learn 
will open your eyes to a whole new financial world. Hey there, listeners. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of the Wine and Real Estate Podcast. Yes, absolutely. You can find us on Instagram. Our handle is wine underscore and underscore real estate. So wine and real estate on Facebook, FL Homes Corp. And you can also find us on our YouTube channel. Yes, and please make sure to give us a rating, five stars, <laughs> or any comments. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we love suggestions as well. Cheers. Yeah, chin chin. Thank you.